it's Wednesday the 6th of September 2023. I'm Sean Bloor and you're watching Resistance TV. Tonight I'm going to be talking to Dr Phil Bevan who was a former staffer in Jeremy Corbyn's office during his reign at the, the Labour Party. He's a researcher, an academic, socialist and a member of the Workers' Party. So welcome Phil. Hi Sean. Hiya, it's great again. to have you here again. I know our viewers have seen you a few times now discussing different topics. Um, now, there are a lot of questions that I have for you tonight. Um, oh, great. Questions, <laughs> questions from the, um, the audience as well. So let's just dive straight into it, shall we? Mm -hmm. um, so the first thing that's obvious to me is um, you have a PhD. What did you study and why? Um... God, well, I, I studied, actually, I studied uh, comic books. Well, not just comic books, comic books and films in relation to Superman, of all things. Oh, right. Um, and the reason I studied it, it was a, a long time ago now that I started studying it, um, is I was, one, I really liked the idea of Superman as a character and this idea of, of interrogating um, what it means to be good, kind of. It's a, it's a big question and it's quite interesting to have a, a character in popular culture uh, that deals with that um, and on an ongoing monthly basis because Superman comics are still published. The other thing that interested me was because it's, it's had a, a continuous publication history and appeared in various media for, for, for many decades since 1938 um, is, is how and to what extent or and whether or not um, they do uh, like popular culture texts reflect uh, developments in history. So I was kind of um, studying, I was studying Superman, but I was also um, studying uh, kind of this, doing a discursive analysis. Um, and actually, while I was doing it, as these things do, they, it turned into kind of something else. And it, it turned into a study of um of, of rhetoric and um, scientific and political discourse and how continuity in Superman comics um, actually could be seen as kind of a, a playful way of interrogating that. So, yeah, it was quite complex, but I guess that's what a PhD is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's really interesting. So is that why you then went to get into politics or were you interested in politics before that? I've always been interested in politics um, in a kind of sort of roundabout way. Um, unfortunately, and it does pain me to admit this, and I'm still um, trying to make amends for it in everything that I do, is that I used to support Tony Blair back when I was 16. Um, uh, that dissipated <laughs> by by 2014. Well, as, I was as it did with all of us, yeah. <laughs> by 2013, I was definitely not a Blairite. Um, and I joined the Labour Party because I was horrified at the uh, the Conservative government, what they were doing, NHS privatisation, all of that. And I thought, you know, maybe Ed Miliband will take the party a, um, a bit to the left and be a break with all of this kind of bad stuff that's gone before. Um, so I joined the Labour Party. I uh, got involved locally and um, I I ended up embroiling myself in an issue of estate regeneration uh, which unfortunately one of the Labour councillors locally was in favour of and I realised was going to be horrifying and 
lead to social cleansing of the people who lived there. Um, and so that really, in terms of political radicalization, it was a combination of things. It was it was the estate regeneration issue and, and the realization of just how uh, rotten uh, pol politics was at a, a national level. So when you say regener regeneration, is that like the, the people were or companies were coming in, like Starbucks and people like that, and oh. taking over the area and um, you know building houses that were not within the price range of of workers who were living in that area? Oh, a little bit worse than that, actually. It was, um, and it's still going on. Um, it was. Uh, council estate and the council was planning to and is now doing um, knocking it all down moving people out and replacing all the council houses with uh, private flats they can sell off at a relatively high price um, yeah which they, they call um, what what's the saying um affordable housing that's it yes, affordable yeah. housing yeah yeah they're doing <laughs> well, that in my area as well and there's no way anyone w would be able to afford yeah. a one-bedroom flat that's worth you know one hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds when you're yeah. just starting out it's ridiculous so that's 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 kind of one of the things that got me politically uh radicalized as it were um the other the other kind of the other stuff as well um like my clp one of the, the good things about my clp which was quite right wing really but one of the good things about it was that it was also where um an organization which some people might have heard of which is um labor to palestine um or i don't think it's called labor to palestine anymore but it was it's, i think it's called travel to palestine now um but we had speakers from palestine sometimes at our clp uh and again the the reality uh of what was going on in palestine uh, really hit home to me because up, up to that point I'd just been watching like mainstream news and stuff and I didn't realize what it was actually like and that changed my perception on that. Um, in, in terms of like getting involved in politics professionally um, it was totally by accident. I, um, I had a bad day at work and so I thought I'll just have a look at the Labour Party jobs website see if there's anything going you know, on the off chance, just to make myself feel better. Uh, I saw there was an application going in Jeremy's office, closing that evening. So <laughs> I went home, I bashed out an application and sent it off. Uh, and in the end, I got the job, which was just uh, um, kind of crazy, really. But I, I'm not a um, political careerist. I have I've never really kind of planned to be in, in politics professionally I still do not so I'm much more interested in um, doing what feels right and also given my um, my slightly obsessive nature and and background researching things and finding out what's true and and writing about it and publishing it that, that's mm. kind of my my thing maybe, maybe we'll we'll get into a few of those things later on in the <laughs> interview um, I'm sure you've got some interesting things to tell us um so what year was it when you got involved with Jeremy Corbyn's Labour? And when did you get your secure that job with um, the leader of the opposition's office? So that was, um, <laughs> it was kind of the worst timing imaginable. It was 2018, uh, in I think it's June or July. Um, so just around the time that all the anti-Semitism stuff was really like hitting the fan. Um, and so it didn't really give much of an opportunity to get settled um, because everything, I mean, it really was a, a terrible period in the office. It was kind of a crisis kind of atmosphere. Um, mm. And of course, there was also a bit of a divide between 
um, people who who took particular sides over that issue, and I was on one side, having been in Kingston and Surbiton CLP, where they had those meetings, Labour to Palestine meetings. It was pretty obvious that the uh, to me that the the need to protect free speech on Palestine was a core issue. Uh, my own, although he never said this to me explicitly, my own uh, view till this day is that that was a priority for Jeremy as well. But there were a lot of um, significant other pressures going from the other direction, including from people within his own team who were sort of um, encouraging him to go to the board of deputies and constantly like apologize and justify himself. Um, so that was a weird experience. But, you know, I, I, it's, I can't say that it was overall uh, negative in any, in any respect. Jeremy personally is, is a very nice man. He's an absolute pleasure to work with. Uh, there are other, in my particular team where I was, there are other people that I worked with who, to this day, I think are fantastic, wonderful people. Um, and it, I learned a lot from it, actually. Um, and How it, big was that team? It was quite a small team. So that I'm not not um, Lotto in general, the leader's office in general, which was like 30 to 40 people in various different teams. The team I was in was about um, like three to five people. It was very small. And were you working on a specific project? Uh, we, we, basically, we, we were doing, um, we were basically just doing some of the behind the scenes stuff, doing admin and uh, making teas and coffees. Um, my highlight, my career highlight today is uh, when Jeremy Corbyn mentioned the quality of the biscuits uh, in in the House of Commons, in the House of Parliament. Uh, I was quite proud of that because I, you know, I, I made a point of getting them from Marks and Spencers <laughs> on the way in because I thought, well, you know. <laughs> well, I hope they were vegan. <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. I, I, I also served up Percy Pig for one meeting, and I, I then later realised that they're made out of real Percy Pig. Um, oh, dear. They were. I think that's changed now. Uh, yeah, they are vegan now. They are vegan now. Yeah. My, my, my lasting regret is one time when I made Jeremy absolutely appalling coffee. Like, I mean, there's no excuse. It's just absolutely appalling, appalling coffee. Um, um, what so. did he do? Was he very polite about it, or did he spit it out at you? Uh, he was very polite about it, but I could tell it was uh, a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, so I, mean, I didn't do anything particularly um, to particularly kind of noteworthy in terms of <laughs> contributing to any decisions or anything like that. I did help out a bit on policy stuff from time to time, doing yeah. some minute taking, which is really really interesting. Uh, and also, it was interesting in see, seeing some of the then Labour front bench uh, as well. Um, uh, and, and their grasp of policy was was, was sometimes instructive. Uh, <laughs> just, Can you give us any examples? Uh, I don't know. You don't have to mention any names. Um, well, I mean, I just, there, there were people who just did not understand the brief, basically. Um, and it wasn't just a case of their disagreeing with, with Jeremy's particular bent on um, policy. It was a case of potentially disagreeing with his her views on policy because they didn't understand them and they didn't understand the policy um, <laughs> and that that was that so was what would happen opening. in those circumstances um a, a lot of negotiating and, and i mean i was not at the, the higher sort of level so i didn't actually say you know i didn't actually see 
um, how decisions were made and what decisions were made. But um, I think so in terms of the outcome of those kind of things, I will have seen it on television like everybody else. But I think we can conclude that it, <laughs> trying to get people to toe the line wasn't always successful by any means. Right, right. OK. Um, although Starmer has been quite successful at doing that, but uh, maybe we'll... Uh, well they all, that's because that. they, you know, he's he said... Basically, if you don't agree with me, you're out. And and none of them want are questioning him. None of them want to question him. Partially because they're not smart enough to do so. Partially because they agree with him. And I think that's that's the reality of it. Is yeah. most of them probably agree with him if they understand the nuances of it. And if they but don't, do they think, probably don't care. Do you think that Corbyn should have been more like that? Uh, I personally, I, I mean. At the time, I might have said yes. Um, now, because I'm looking back on it fairly philosophically, um, I think it would have been impossible for him to do it. Um, bear in mind that when it comes to his specific um, views on foreign policy and other things, and I've written about this before, uh, my view on this hasn't really changed. It's, he didn't have a majority on the NEC when, even when there was a nominal uh, yeah. Left majority on the NEC. Uh, there were people within his operation who did not agree with him. Um, so I think the fastest route to him being out the door would have been to take a harder line on things. And I think he probably stayed where he was for as long as he did because he didn't do that. And I, and I you know, and that <laughs> you can you can argue whether it would have been better for him to have gone out the door sooner and and just you know stood up and, and, and took it on the chin. Um, but the other argument, the other side of the argument is that he um, was serious about becoming uh, prime minister. You know, he, he seriously meant it. I'm not sure it's a job he ever really wanted, but it was a job that he was committed to doing for the, for the right reasons. And, and I think that is, is why he tried to compromise and tried to find a way through, which I, I think is a perfectly reasonable position. Yeah, absolutely. And I th I've always said that, you know, it's not necessarily the person who wants the job that's it's, you know, that's the person who's going to be right for the job. Mm. Um, you know, those power hungry people who is, oh, you know, I want to be prime minister, you know, they're not necessarily the right person for that job. But you, you occasionally you, you'll, you'll get a person that comes along who shows great leadership skills, who shows the hope um, that people want to see. And yeah, OK, they may not want to be prime minister but they'd be the best person to do it and I think that's what a lot of people felt about Jeremy Corbyn I think they they sort of felt that in their core yeah I think also there were again there were people in the office who I think wanted him to fit that model of um kind of prime ministerial in, in inverted uh, commas um more than he would ever have been able to do it um and there's nothing, you know, he, he would have done it if he could. He would have tried to have done it in his own way. Um, but also, I, I mean, I think it's important to recognise, again, looking back, and obviously I, at the time, was absolutely uh, dedicated, sincerely dedicated to making sure that Jeremy got in. Looking back now, I don't think it was ever possible that he would have. And if he did, or it may have been possible that he could have done it. If he did, he would have lasted all of three weeks. And we'd probably have... Keir Starmer as Prime Minister now. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I haven't thought of it that way, but I can see 
exactly where you're coming from on that. Um, I mean, it's it's well known that the PLP were not behind Jeremy Corbyn. He mm. had very few allies within the parliamentary Labour Party. Um, what was it like amongst the, the other staffers working there? What was the atmosphere like during that 2018 period? And, and um, when, when did you actually leave uh, Corbyn's office? Was it when he stepped down or was it before uh, then? It was when he stepped down. So I, right. you know, I, I stayed right till the, uh, the bitter end, as it were. Yeah, um, so what, actually, so what was know, the atmosphere like? The atmosphere towards the at the end, um, well, in 2018, it was really fraught, um, that period, because of disagreements, because of um, the pressure that he himself was under as well. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was disagreements at shadow cabinet level, disagreements at, um, within the office as well. Really, really difficult. Um, and it just was, well, it was just a horrible, horrible situation. Um, but did you work at Westminster or at Southside? At Westminster. Um, I did a brief stint at Southside doing admin for the um, complaints team, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, but I worked at Westminster. But it wasn't, I mean, again, I don't want to say that it was all horrible and terrible. Um, 2018, that summer, when I first started, was really, really difficult. And it, it was difficult. Um, but like I said, I was in a good team with good people. And Overall, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed working with Jeremy. Um, Twenty the, towards the end, it was odd because it was all the COVID stuff kicking off, um, and one of my big frustrations with Keir Starmer is that in 2020, I think yeah, it was um, before in the lead up to fourth of was it fourth of April when Starmer got it? I can't remember. Yes, but, yeah, sounds um, about right. Jeremy in opposition showed what leadership could achieve you know in opposition like being an opposition with the um furlough uh, policy which came from came from them it didn't come from the government boris johnson i i i gather um from third hand conversations didn't have a clue what he was doing but i think that's probably quite obvious anyway and and so that policy was basically um foisted upon the government by the opposition and if you look to say what happened in the United States, for instance, it wasn't necessarily going to happen. And that was um, a real achievement, actually, um, which we, we probably shouldn't forget. Um, and it was probably only possible uh, because because Jeremy was there, but also because because he was on the way out anyway. There wasn't all this kind of pressure on him to to <laughs> to, to behave in a certain way and do certain things. Um, so I think that perhaps was a kind of a sign of what it could have been had the Labour left been an entirely different, well, the Labour right and the Labour left been an entirely dis different beast. Because you, you pointed out that, um, that, that he didn't have much support in the PLP, which is, of course, entirely true. But it's also worth bearing in mind that um, thanks to revelations uh, by the Electronic Intifada, we know that John Lansman wanted Jeremy out as early as 2016. So um, the, the support just wasn't there. Um, so at what all. was the point in momentum? <laughs> I don't know if you, uh, you, you, you realise what a loaded question that is to me, because I've been looking into it. Um, um, probably not, but keep <laughs> open that can of worms. Let's get into yeah. it. Well, I got. I want to be careful with what I say because I don't want yeah, to say anything I don't have evidence to substantiate. Yeah. Um, so I have written about it a bit, and based on what I've I've researched and looked into, 
Um, the role of momentum is very interesting, particularly relating to the period around 2016, which is also the period when John Lansman was, was talking about, so I understand, was talking about um, removing Jeremy, um, is that the row that blew up over Jackie Walker internally. Um, there is a fascinating, I keep coming back to it, but it's a fascinating New Statesman article from October 2016 um, that that interview some senior people involved in momentum and it's talking about the whole jackie walker situation and 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 the interesting thing is their approach to it isn't actually at this point talking mainly about um anti-semitism what they do talk about as well and this is kind of the focus of the piece is it's a political disagreement within the in momentum and this distinction between um like the uh, supposedly sensible, relatively mainstream momentum types. And I think the phrase was um, canary reading conspiracy theorists. And so it was quite obvious that people within momentum's leadership, even at that time, were talking, were, were making distinctions between their own members, the ones they liked and the ones they didn't like. And as it evolved, you can see that the anti-Semitism um, issue also um, what became an issue across those factional lines. And at the same time, you also have this debate about um, what kind of organisation momentum should be, whether it should be a grassroots uh, momentum, uh, momentum, uh, uh, member-led organisation or whether it should be a top-down organisation. Uh, and I think Ben Sellers actually has, has commented about this on Redline TV. He knows a lot more about it than I do because I've never really been involved in momentum. Um, but yes, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the fascinating thing about momentum is that it did voluntarily police what it considered to be legitimate and illegitimate, um, activists and people. And that's my interpretation of it anyway. And that's right from 2016, from an early stage. Yeah, I mean, they always seem to have a click. There was always a click. I mean, I'm based up here in the northwest, and there was definitely a click up here. Um, and nothing could be done without the click yeah. um, being involved, basically. And the um, thing is that that um, that click of people is now, uh, and possibly has always been. It, it's the um, this kind of small group of fixers who sort of permeate throughout all the organisations of the left, and so. Um, and I'm not saying this is sour grapes because, you know, frankly, I'm glad I never got invited to the parties because I hate parties. Um, but there was ways of, of keeping people like me sidelined and kind of out of the, the, the group, which I think is still in play to this day. And again, I, I really, you know, it's not something that particularly bothers me. Rather the opposite. I'm quite grateful for it because I'm a normal yeah. person. I don't want to do any deal with any of that. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, yeah yeah it's factionalism and um you know we were all supposed to be fighting for the same thing um momentum was supposed to be a vehicle to support jeremy corbyn and and to get him into number 10 uh, that mm. was the whole point of it and there was armies of people out there who were willing to go out pound the streets leafleting talking to people we were out there every saturday doing street stalls around different towns and villages in our area and I'm sure there was thousands of other people doing the same thing because we all believed we all had that hope that we could do this and then to find out that there were people 
in Lotto uh, and in Southside who were fighting against it to then later find out that the PLP were not behind Jeremy and they were fighting against him, i.e. during the chicken coup. Um, I know I know our local MP, uh, Kate Green um, in Stretford and Ermston, she was one of the ones behind the chicken coup and she was in fact the um, manager for, what was his name, the guy with the glasses? Owen Smith. Owen Smith, yeah, she was actually his his campaign manager. Um, so that didn't go down very well, obviously, for us locally. Um, there was lots of splits that happened during that time when we found out that she was completely involved in that because we had we had a quite a big uh, JC4PM group, to be honest. Mm. And it was only later that we ended up joining Momentum because we thought that would be a, a good move for um, our little group to, to become part of a, a larger organisation. Uh, little did we know. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, is momentum still going? I have no idea. I don't keep in contact with. I, I believe so, but I think that's because it still has a Twitter account. Otherwise, I am not engaged with it at all. I'm not. I mean, anyone who's involved. I... If it is still going, you know, it's lost its sort of objectives and its goal, hasn't it? The the goal was to to get Jeremy into number ten. Um, so well, I don't know what they stand for. If was that the goal though? Because we know that Landsman well, did not as early as 2016 he did not want Jeremy in. My personal view, and it is my view, um one day maybe I'll write about it, maybe not. I've got other things, but um is that one of its roles, and, and we saw this in that 2016 article for the New Statesman that I was talking about, is to to an extent contain the left to distinguishing distinguishing between the sensibles the people we like and the people we don't draw in the sensibles and then you have a a labor left that is run by and controlled by like you say a clique a certain group of people who have a certain outlook perhaps come from a certain class background and it's a way of ensuring actually that the the makeup of the left and the people who contribute to the formation of its direction even under Corbyn um, is policed and that is I think that personally I think that was one of its functions whether that's intentional or not I think that is how it operated I think that's what happened and again the the anti-semitism thing is such a kind of it just sort of crystallizes all of these problems because again that's what happened there um, momentum internally took a particular view on that and that and then used their their power to lobby for that position internally. Um, <laughs> but if I was if I was influential in momentum, that is not the position that I would have been advocating. Obviously, mm. um, yeah. Uh, and that's you know these these are all the things that when you look back, you think, oh my god, you know what was going on. And I we still don't know the half of it. And that's one of the things I've been researching for the past couple of years. But you know, in most depth in the past year or so. Well, that'll be interesting to hear in the future when you do get to the bottom of it. And I, I hope you'll end up writing a book or, you know, something bigger than an article so we can all find out what the the truth is mm. behind it. Well I, well, I have got to the bottom of it, I think. Um, it's just a case of laying it all out. I've got bits yeah. and pieces, but I actually I do now, probably just this week, <laughs> I can say... I know what happened. I know I know what's at the bottom of it. I know who's at the bottom of it. I know what the relationships are that are at play here. 
still at play on the left and what's going on. Um, so I, you will you'll be hearing more from me about it, certainly, whether it's in more Fantastic. articles. Fantastic. Well, you must, will... come, you must come back on and tell us all about yeah. it then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our tonight's show is about learning lessons from the Corbyn era. era. Um, and from looking back, you know, from 2018 to um, when you, you left, um, what do you think are some of the biggest takeaways um, that we can think about or learn from from that era and how how does the left go forward from here um it's a big Probably question a big question, big question. Okay. i've got an answer and it's a big answer that i'm sure not everybody's going to like but including jeremy himself probably wouldn't like this answer um but i think what jeremy's time as leader of the labor party uh, did and it is actually to his credit that it's done this is that it is tested to destruction the idea that you can have a route to socialism via the Labour Party. I'm not, you know, discounting Parliament. I'm saying via the Labour Party. Um, if you look at, uh, and I'm not really an expert in, in these kind of groups, but if you look at various kind of Trotskyist organisations um, and the left in general, there has been this uh, strategy of this idea of only we can take the leadership of the Labour Party uh, we'll have a chance of getting into power uh, and then introducing left-wing policies. Now, what I have learned personally, my takeaway from Jeremy's leadership of the Labour Party, is that if you do get somebody who has the right politics at the top of the Labour Party, he will not be allowed to win. The Labour right will sabotage him and the Labour left will sabotage him. <laughs> and you'll end up with a disaster and if they do get into power they will be quickly replaced by somebody who's going to reverse everything that they wanted to do um, so basically it means to me it is uh, it proves that the Labour Party as a route um, to for pursuing progressive politics um, is just a non-starter it has also revealed to me that um, a lot of the problems with the left in this country, I mean, the organised sort of mainstream left like momentum, um, and it's and this is kind of touching upon some of my research is that you realise when you look into it, a lot of these kind of um, campaign groups are backed by billionaire financed NGOs. So if you are wondering why they don't always push the message to its logical conclusion, you know, off the top of my head, things like NHS privatisation. The, the reason might be is because their financiers don't want them to. And, and that is on the left. So I'm not talking about, you know, the Labour right. This is These, these are left-wing organisations that have ties to uh, billionaire fi finance and even foreign state funding. So it's, again, the organised left, as much as the Labour Party in this country, is essentially captured in terms of what we think, you know, what we want to achieve, which is, Publicly, publicly owned, publicly run services without private involvement from an NHS point of view, that's, you know, healthcare free at the point of need to everyone who does need it, uh, comprehensive to everyone in the country. That is not possible if you are trying to achieve it through a lobbying organisation that is paid for by billionaire capital because their interests do not lie in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to yeah. happen. And they're never going to get the message right. They're never going to push it hard enough. That's and right. they will actually lobby MPs 
that they're left-wing MPs that they're in touch with to go against the line that, say, someone like Bob Gill is pushing. And he's completely right on the NHS. Uh, and we saw just the other week that he uh, he got cancelled for saying things that are frankly just common sense and um, just demonstrable by uh, the application of evidence. It's, it's just obviously true what he has been saying. And he there was almost he was almost cancelled because of it. And that tells you everything you need to know about the state of the of the left. Um, so essentially, I mean, I would agree. I haven't read the book, but there's a book called The Death of the Left, which I know Chris is a, a very keen on. Um, and their conclusion is that we need to begin again from the beginning. And I would agree with that. I think we need to we need to realize that this kind of the Benite idea of, of of sort of the march through the institutions and, and taking over the Labour Party has run its course. I think the best thing we can do now is is actually reach out beyond the left, mainly to ordinary people who are having a really hard time at the moment and trying to help them out and win their support. I'm not saying abandon electoral politics, but you know maybe run as an independent or workers' party candidate. You know, but run on policies that matter to ordinary people, and um, then on a, on a sort of a macro level, the, unfortunately, I think. Again, the established left, like things like drop, uh, stop the war, has really dropped the ball over the Ukraine crisis. They're talking about um, green issues at the moment, which you know, fine, but there could be a nuclear war tomorrow, and we'd all be dead. So, not quite sure why they're not focused on on the issue of NATO. But we've got um, no to NATO, which is not kind of a is a relatively new organisation. Um, which has been brought together by Chris and George Galloway and others. Um, and and it's, um, it has platformed people that many of us don't actually uh, agree with on other issues. But again, it's about building a broad coalition of people who aren't necessarily leftists on specific issues. And then over time, you will start to find the people who you agree with on more and more issues and you'll build a movement that way, uh, more organically than um, relying on billionaire-backed NGOs and their kind of outriders. Uh, I, I think that would be my my takeaway from it. It's it's not a, a easy, simple solution, but because it, it really is building right up from the beginning again. I, I think it is possible. And actually, although it sounds negative, I, I don't think it's a negative point of view because I think it's it's actually progress to, to at least know what the problems are uh, and know what you can't achieve with certain vehicles. We're much further forward now than we were when Jeremy was leader of the Labour Party, because back then we all thought that the Labour Party was a viable route for socialism. Now we know that it's not. And so it's a, it's a question of what we do with that knowledge. And I am actually, and again, he wouldn't thank me for this probably, but I'm very grateful to Jeremy because it was his leadership of the Labour Party that gave me that knowledge. I think that's, that's an incredible gift and it's our, our duty to use it. Uh, and I, I don't say that lightly. I really mean it. I think it's a, it's an incredibly important achievement for him to have stayed in that position so long, been so damn reasonable to a fault. And, and it must have been an incredibly well. painful time for him as well, emotionally. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, absolutely sure it was, yeah. The hurt that he must have gone through during that time, I, I, I can't. I mean, I, I, I went through something of my own with being in the Labour Party at that time and losing my job um, for supporting him. Um, but um, I can only imagine um, what he has been through in the last, what, 
since 2015 or since 2018 it's and he's still going through it he's still got lawsuits hasn't he there's still people mm. coming after him with lawsuits um so all these people that think jeremy is still our savior of the left and he's going to come in riding his white horse um to save everybody what would you say to those people who's like don't leave the labor party stay and fight and all this kind of stuff i would say leave the labor party you can't fight within it um it's a horrible toxic toxic environment get out you'll feel better for it i did i felt better for it um with regards to jeremy um i have a huge personal um affection and respect for the man and his principles and one thing that wasn't mentioned is it's also which no which not enough people reflect upon is is the personal risk that he took absolutely by being in that position and you know his life was explicitly threatened once uh, and he was also you know on a on separate occasion punched in the head so he really did and, and i know that he knew those risks so we we i, I think i we do owe Jeremy, a great deal of respect for that. Um, I, I would say, personally, if he wanted, I would love to see him join in with Chris and George and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he is, personally, I think he's too embedded in the structures of, of the the left as it has been until this point. So these NGO type groups, you know, the big one at the moment is Progressive International, which is a big bugbear of mine because I think it's awful. Um, uh, and he's tied into all of these different things. And I think for him to do what I'm suggesting would be a, a massive wrench, which given his history and given his friendships and connections is, is not one that I think he would necessarily be able to do or that would it would necessarily be fair to expect him to do? Yeah. Uh, and if he can't do it, then that's okay. We just have to we just have to do it without him, and that's that's fine. You know. And yeah. that, again, that's not a, that's not a criticism. It's just a reflection of reality. Yeah. And my feelings are on that are that I don't think it's fair of us to be putting that burden on him again. Mm. I, I really don't think it's fair. You know, I think we need to leave him be now. Just let him be, let him do his own thing. You know, he's just turned 70, hasn't he? You know, he's... Oh, he's older uh, than 70, 73, 74, something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, he's he's getting on a bit now. And although he seems still very sprightly, um, I, I think he, he's gone through a lot for the left. And I think, mm. I think we need to let him be now and we need to move on as a group. Um, having learned these lessons that you've spoken about, having learned about how people will do anything to stop the socialist left from getting into power, we we need to take on board these lessons, um, like the anti the bogus anti-Semitism campaign, uh, which was appalling, but that clearly came from within, from the JLM, um, from we know from directly from the Israeli embassy and even the Ministry of Strategic Affairs in Israel, um, the campaign against anti-Semitism and so forth and so forth. And during my own research on the advisors that were advising certain MPs within the Labour Party, um, I found there was 
many of those advisors who were deeply embedded with organizations relating to Israel. Um, people that you you know most people have probably never even heard of because they operate in the background. Um, and uh, I, I would say to people, just just do some digging. Do you know? Mm. I, I did a lot of my uh, research just through Companies House and looking at these organisations who were involved, and then checking up on these names. And it was it was surprising the information, mm. you know, that I found out from that. And it was relatively easy to find. It's all open source. It's all there for you to look at. Um, and and now we see, you know, some of those people have then been rewarded um, with. Um, power in the Starmer um, mm. office um, and staff it. We, we are totally true. And I, to, to add to the company's house thing, I'd also say um, if you're looking into uh, campaign groups and NGOs, um, their annual reports are always <laughs> remarkably interesting and useful for finding out where the money's coming from. And it, like you say, it's surprisingly open. It's just that people don't actually look and pull it all together. But the, the thing I would add as well is that. Um, is, is also it's not just say groups like JLM the role of the Labour left and um, David Miller's very good on this and I do encourage people yeah, to look yeah. into what he's saying but you had people in left-wing people and um, Helena McCann has spoken about this as well um, and she's been through a lot they had left-wing left -wing people in the complaints unit who were taking their cues um, from say someone like Dave Rich, who works for the Community Securities Trust, which is a UK government funded organization that lobbies for Israel. Um, yeah. And it wasn't just people in the complaints unit. Um, there's a, you know, at least one key advisor to Jeremy within Lotta was also um, praising the work of Dave, Dave Rich and saying that, you know, what he was saying was sensible on this issue. So it was completely um, I think really we, we need to well, move away. Tom Watson as well. There was Tom Watson <laughs> yeah. as well. You know, um, let's not forget him. Where's he gone to? Um, he had his mucky paws all over it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that's where my details got siphoned from a particular really? staffer within the complaints department um, to to um, Tom Watson's um, advisor. I can't remember what his name. Dillipool. Somebody did. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and um, oh, this was written about by um, one of the Times. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Oh, God. Um, Pogrund from the Times, um, who was writing a lot of these articles at the time. He wrote a book and um, he wrote all this in his book. Who, who was getting the information from the complaints department? Who was passing it over to Tom Watson's advisor? And then they were then siphoning off to different uh, journalists mm. so that they could write their damning reports. I mean, I, I was in the Times. Um, absolute crap. Bullshit story about me in the Times. Mm. Um, you know, I could prove every bit of it was bullshit. Um, and... Um, but the damage that it did to me personally, um, not only having my name in the Times, but the BBC then took up the story. I came in from work. I was on the six o'clock news. Um, it was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. And then, and then, and then I ended up losing my job because uh, certain campaigners from the Israel lobby got involved and um, found out where I worked and um, 
yeah, I lost my job. So, um, I mean, I've told people about this before, it's no secret, but it was an awful time. It was absolutely mm. awful. Um, and that was just, that was just me. I'm nobody. I, I was nobody then. I'm nobody now. Um, I was just an ordinary Labour Party mm. member. Um, and that's what happened to me. Um, it was awful. I have a story about Pogrund, actually. Um, oh, go on then. Gabriel Pogrund. Yes, Gabriel Pogrund and Patrick Maguire were the people yeah. who wrote that book. Um, yeah. Well, it was during the end of my time in Lotto. Um, there was, I think, I certainly know for a fact that many staffers, Lotto staffers, people in Jeremy's team, were going to Pogrund and sharing their stories anonymously and that these made their way into his book. Um and I think there was, my impression at the time was that there was something of, it, there was an organised element of it. So it was being done, not with Jeremy's sanction, but it, there was sort of an organised uh, group of people going and briefing Pogrand for, to put their side of the story down for posterity. Mm-hmm. And again, this really does shed a light on, frankly, the, the calibre or lack of calibre of the people in Labour left. And one of the lessons I would say is we do need to move away from that whole infrastructure. Yeah, it's toxic. It's, Absolutely it's toxic. toxic. It's like you said, it's run by a click. It's not going to achieve anything. It's got investment from billionaires and worse. It is, it's, um, we need to begin again from the beginning. And, and that's one of my experiences. You know, there's been so many times where I was in that office and again, a lot of this is on reflection, but there were moments where while I was there, I was like, what the f- was that? Like, yeah. you know, what, why is this person supporting the the, 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 the te- Board of Deputies Ten Commandments or whatever it was called during the... <laughs> you know, yeah. Why are they, have they learned nothing? And it's ten, not ten, I think we, I think we uh, nicknamed it the Ten Demandments. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's so many moments like that when you realise that quite a lot of these people are just fundamentally untrustworthy. They're not working... They're careerists at the end of the day. They're not working for the, the the good of other people. They're not, you know, they're not doing it while we're doing. We're not careerists. I mean, we're just we're here because um, we care. We care. Yeah. I can't think of any other word. We we care <laughs> yeah. about people and um and we care about yeah. this country and we care about what's happening in the world and we can't sit on our asses and do nothing yeah. about it. Basically, so if we don't do it. Who else will? That's, that's exactly. I, the stuff I write and the stuff I say, I don't do it because I um, I think it will reward me personally. Actually, I think the opposite is likely to be the case. Is It's going to more likely to come back and bite me. And yeah. I certainly lost friends over it or people who I thought were friends. But actually, I'm glad I lost them as friends because they yeah. weren't. Um, yeah. But again, we, we need more people who are just doing it because it's it's the right thing to do. And they're not doing it for personal advancement. And I think, again, when you've got that whole infrastructure of the left, and, and there's money coming from EU institutions and billionaires. Um, it just works against having a decent, honest activist base. And it's really, really hard because people who work um, just don't have the time and they we have to do everything in our spare time. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be done that way. It needs to be done by people who who don't really, you know, who do, don't have an agenda, who aren't looking to become the next MP for God knows where and all that kind of stuff. Um, we can do yeah. it. It's going to take a long time. It will take a long time, but you know, if if we can, you know, I'd like to get start getting back out on the streets again at weekends and mm. doing my street tours. I absolutely loved doing that. I I loved talking to people and finding out, 
you know, what their thoughts were on different things and how they were just getting on in life and how we could try and improve things for people. Um, do, do you think that um, people should be putting themselves forward to be local councillors or um, if they should be challenging at the next election or just concentrating on building movements within their local areas. Because like you said, I've tried to do this and I'm finding that people are so bloody busy trying to make ends meet. They, you know, they've got two, three jobs, um, they've got kids, you know, mm. to look after. Mums um, are working, you know, doing cleaning jobs in the morning, in the evening, maybe working in a pub. Dad's driving a taxi as well as doing another job. And, you know, they just don't have the time to do any activist work or get involved. And I think that's by design, by the way. Um, mm, yeah, I agree. I completely yeah, agree. You know, I do think that's absolutely by design. Um, you know, people just haven't got the time to think. A lot of people say, oh, I don't do politics because I don't understand it. Um, I've had this conversation with many people and it's like well you know do your kids go to school and um, mm. do you use the local hospital um how's waiting times at your gp um you know and those are the kind yes you do do politics because those are the things that um affect you every single day in your life um and um yeah so I understand why people can't get involved in a movement. Like I say, I think that's by design. And I think the only way we can try to get power or to change to change things is to get power, is to get into parliament. Although I hate the parliamentary system and the structure of it, and it does need a complete system change, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, in my opinion, if I had it my way, I'd devolve everything to regional yeah. uh, regional structures because, you know, here, us here in England, we're completely dictated to by Westminster. They have no clue what's going on, um, you know, up my neck of the woods uh, or probably in Birmingham where you are, Phil. Mm. Um, and they, they have no interest either. Um, so with that, um, I'm just going to go for some questions, actually. Are you all right, okay. to yeah. Have some questions yeah, and then we'll, we'll like have a bit of a, a summary. All right, let yeah. me put my specs on because I can't see a bloody thing. Uh, okay, so um, Jonathan Cooper says, um, the sooner the left can turn their backs on Parliament and parliamentary elections, the better. Well, I think we just discussed that. If there's anything mm. you'd like to say to yeah. that. I actually don't necessarily agree because I think... Um, I think, if nothing else, I think standing for Parliament is is all. I don't mean Parliament. I think more important right now, actually, than standing for Parliament is is standing in local elections, um, because it's just a good opportunity to get the message out to people, to talk to people, and then maybe get a representative who can do some good, and then have a platform to talk about the issues that we need to talk about. So I don't think we should see it as something that's that's worth doing, like for its own sake. But it's, it's um, I, you know, I. I there is a difference that people can make. And I say that because a good friend of mine is James Giles, who's an independent councillor down in Kingston-upon-Thames. Uh, he helped me out with my estate regeneration campaigning. Uh, when I was disowned by my local Labour Party, I, uh, I went to him for help and uh, he's still running his independent campaigns then. And he was, he said, you know, I said, would you help me? And he said, I don't see why anyone wouldn't. And, and so now he's a very good friend. He's a brilliant local councillor and he is making a difference. Um, he made a difference before he was a councillor as well. So this is the thing. It's not a case of, oh, you know, when I get in, maybe I'll do something. It's a case of doing what is right and 
hopefully that will give people the confidence to vote you into power so you can do more that is right. Um, so it's not pursuing it for its own sake, but pursuing, pursuing it for the difference that you can make and for the very concrete, specific objectives that you have for that office. And there's not many people can do it, have the time to run in a campaign. I think it's a case of instead of having like a blanket um, commitment to this number of councillors across the country, it's if there is a good candidate somewhere or if you think you could be a good candidate, have a go and stand and, you know, do, do your best and see what happens. And it's always better if, if you can target quite um, carefully and have a good organisation around you. But I don't think there's any particular harm in doing it at all. So long as it's not for Labour. Um, exactly. <laughs> or, or potentially like, the Greens. A lot of people saying the Greens. Uh, no, not the Greens. Uh, supporters of NATO, oh, actually, yeah. somebody put um, that in in um, in the chat, not the Greens. Can you mm. just tell people why not to go to Green? Because I think a lot of people just default to the Greens. And um, I have a big issue with the Greens. But I'd like well, yeah, to hear yeah. from you. They're, they're not in any way socialist. They are... They're liberal. If you look at what they've done in, say, uh, Brighton, um, where they've actually been in power, it's a disaster zone. They are pro-NATO, so pro the military industrial complex and all of the environmental horrors that come with that, which is worth thinking about, given their um, professed politics. Um, and I, I know also I know somebody who was a Green councillor. They were brilliant. But as a whole, the Greens are, are bad. And if you also look back, you know, when Jeremy was leader of the Labour Party, if the Greens really were what about what they say they're about, they would have backed him, and they didn't. They very pointedly didn't. Um, they are not the solution. They are part of the problem. And if you doubt that, I just direct you to um, Baerbock in Germany, who is probably the, one of the most reactionary politicians in the West. Um, who, she's very pro-war, uh, you know, just, just awful, awful politician. Mm -hmm. um, the Greens are not the solution. They're part of the problem, in my view. Yeah, totally agree with you on that one. Um, I just want to say thank you to Katie Marshall and Gunt for sending solidarity to me. That's oh. thank you. That's much my heart. Um, Katie says that we can start with a more social democratic party to start the left shift in the country, then start people's committee for major areas of society. That's one way to start, I guess. Um, well, I suppose, um, you know, Phil and I should fess up that we are part of the work. <laughs> um, resist. Uh, we, you probably know that Chris and I started um, the resist movement for a people's party um, before the lockdown. And um, we've recently um, joined the Workers' Party. Um, the Workers' Party is now going to be our electoral vehicle. Um, and there's many of our members have, have joined the Workers' Party as well. Um, Phil, why did you join the Workers' Party? Um, I liked what they were doing locally. Um, they were engaged in campaigning against a low traffic neighbourhood, which is appalling divisive and regressive policies that don't actually work at all when it comes to the environment or anything else, in my view. Um, but also, I mean, you know, I, I saw that work and then I went and I spoke to some of the guys here and they're just, they were just nice, normal people and I got on with them. And, you know, one of the great things about the Workers' Party for me is that they, I mean, they don't clear what I say on things like this. So I just uh, come here and shoot my mouth off. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they just let us do what we want, don't they? There's and, nobody. And that's fine. And and you know, I think 
for me, the party, I, I'm not like saying everybody must join the Workers' Party, though I would recommend it. Um, I, I think for me, my, my politics are more kind of loose than that. You know, I'm not going to criticise somebody for standing as an independent in an area where they think they could win as an independent. Mm -hmm. um, what I think is more important at the moment is not to get in each other's way. Um, that's why, for example, you know, I wouldn't recommend somebody standing for the Workers' Party in Kingston-upon-Thames against my friend James because you know, he's a brilliant councillor. He's an independent. Like, yeah. we can work with him. We don't need to work exactly. against each other. And then over time, this could build into something bigger. I don't think we need to start from, necessarily start from, like, one big organisation. I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of writing something about a similar proposal at the moment. I think it's quite frightening because it's very anti-democratic and very controlling. And I think we should really avoid that, if at all possible, because in the end of the at the end of the day, that's going to lead to control by a click. And yes. we've already always already seen just how awful that can be. So we, we don't yeah. want that in my view. Yeah. And, and you know, um, we have got we've got loads of comrades who are mm. doing all sorts of things, loads of people who, you know, over in Liverpool, com you know, really good comrades. They're not in the Workers' Party, but we'll work together. You know, we will work together. Um, we will support each other. Um, we've got comrades over in Winsford, the same. Um, you know, they're standing as independents. They've got a good, solid base um, and we'll, we'll support each other. They're still on the same page. They're still socialists. They still have the same ideas. Um, We've also know. got um, an informal understanding with Tusk, and we try and yes. to stage out of each other's way as well. So, and this is exactly the way I like to work. Like this isn't—it's not dogmatic. It's recognizing shared interests, common aims, and working in the interests of those—the actual objectives that we're trying to achieve—as opposed to kind of dogma or ego or some kind of weird fidelity to a specific party. Um, even if most of the people in that party are, are more right wing than conservatives, so you know, it's um, that's you know it's it's much looser than that and more pragmatic, which is which is what I like. While also being principled and focused on the actual principles that we want to achieve, um, and that goes for the Workers Party and the people that we cooperate with who are outside of the Workers Party, which is a great thing. I absolutely you know it's one of the reasons I'm involved in the Workers Party is that they're willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, Paul Smith says he's with the Break Party, Breakthrough Party. That's fine, Paul. You know, you you support, you know, whatever party you want to mm. support. You know, as long as they've got socialist ideals, then you know that's great. Um, hopefully, we we can work together. Um, unfortunately, um, I think Breakthrough and a couple of other parties who joined are they transformed now? They were power, they? Exactly, transform. I know they are involved they in transform, but I don't know if. They are, yeah, they, they were PAL, they were PAL, yeah. the Progressive Alliance of the Left, um, but they didn't want to work with us. Mm, <laughs> so, well, I got kicked out of PAL for sharing an article I wrote about um, Keir Starmer for the Workers' Party website. Yeah, um, they, kicked, they kicked us out as well. So Yeah, so the, the, the problem with them is not that we weren't willing to work with them, it's that they weren't willing to they work with us. They don't want to work with us. Yeah, so, and yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, again, each their own people want to join with them, that's fine. It's just, yeah. just a shame that they won't work with us. Um, yeah. If you want Nothing to work with you, us, Paul. <laughs> yeah, nothing against you, Paul. You know, maybe yeah. you could lobby them and tell them that we, we need to work together um, because uh, yeah. it's definitely them. There, it's them, not us. <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually have to agree with everything that, I mean, this is the thing, we don't all agree on everything. I, I don't agree with everything George Galloway says. I do respect him as a as a, as a person. Yeah. I think he's, he's, he's got a lot of integrity. Um, but that's the point. We don't actually have to agree um, on all points. It's It's 
if we can focus on areas of agreement in campaigning and stuff, that's what we want to do and, and kind of downplay the areas of disagreement where they're not relevant. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest areas where the left has failed in the past. It's they yeah. they ruin things that by this constant infighting and they've got to get over it. They've got to work with people who they don't necessarily agree with, but they agree with them on some points um, for the greater good. Um, and the, the left has got to get over this. Otherwise, mm. we're going nowhere. Yeah, it's not about how to me, it's not about how you look as an individual um, and you know, if, if you happen to be on a platform with this person, how that makes you look, it's about the, the policy and the point and the outcome that you're trying to achieve by doing that. So if, you, if you're standing on a platform um, with, say, you know, someone, even like Nigel Farage, for instance, I know George did once, and it was once, yeah. She's, he's got yeah. a load of uh, hate for. He it did. was because they both agreed on the necessity of Brexit. Um, and, and, and I think actually in the future, that is the way we should work, because whether you like him or not, Farage has a reach and standing on that platform with him gave George access to some of those people who might actually be who are not died in the world um, political necessarily and might actually be open to some socialist ideas. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. Katie's just put, ah, man frog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Katie, that's really tickled me. <laughs> I'll never look at it the same way again. I think um, not, not to, not to, not to uh, go on looks, and uh, but I think people do liken him to Mr. Toad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Toad of Toad Hall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Phil, um, I think we we're, we're running out of time. We're oh, now at yeah. the top of the hour. I have so enjoyed this conversation yeah, with you. Too. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that you would like to say? I'll give you the final word on lessons we, we have learned from the Corbyn area. Um, oh, thank you. I think really I just want to re-emphasise the point on um, not being too factional and, and narrow because a lot of the people we talk to in the, in the street won't necessarily be... Um, committed socialists at this point in time and, and the challenge is to win them over to our cause it's not to lecture them on why they are wrong it's Absolutely. to demonstrate it through our action and also through our solidarity with them yeah. uh, on the issues that are affecting them um, to, and that by that doing that we'll bring them over and hopefully we'll create a movement that's not run from the top by these kind of bureaucrats who, who've got funny connections to the establishment but by people themselves who've got real issues um, that they are trying to rectify in their communities. That's great. Thank you so much, Phil. And yeah, thank, thank you, you to everybody for commenting on the chat tonight and for watching us. Um, if you would like any further information, then you can look on the website at uh, www.workerspartybritain.org. Um, you can follow Resistance TV Pod on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and if you've really enjoyed what we do here, please leave us a like as it helps us to beat censorship, beat the algorithm, them get out there so we can um, get through to more people um, so give us a like subscribe hit the notification bell and with that I'll bid you good night and we'll see you next week